Welcome to Emerging Europe Talks, bringing you expert insight on innovation and technology, sustainable social and economic growth, business, politics and culture, and helping you navigate the Emerging Europe region. Hosted by Andrew Robel. Remember to visit the show's page, emerging-europe.com forward slash multimedia, or check the hashtag EETalks on social media. Hi, everyone. This is Andrew Robel, and there's another episode of Emerging Europe Talks Sustainable Impact. Today, I'm joined by Stefan Valvius, Head of Sustainability Services for Central and Eastern Europe at JLL. JLL is a global commercial real estate services company founded in the United Kingdom with offices in 80 countries around the world. Stefan, welcome to Emerging Europe Talks Sustainable Impact. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So we're talking about sustainability in the real estate sector. There are quite a few areas to look at, to be honest, but let's start by talking about how the concept of sustainable real estate has been developing over the last few years and what are the challenges and objectives now? Yeah, I mean, sustainability in real estate is developing indeed. The real estate has a giant impact on climate change, right? So 40% of the emissions come from real estate. You probably all know these statistics, but when we talk about sustainability, so very often we talk about carbon emissions alone, but there are more uh, more topics that you can address. Huh? You can put them in three buckets, and these are the terms that you the term that you hear a lot is uh, ESG, environmental, social, and governance. Under each of these pillars, you have a lot of topics you can address, but indeed. Climate change is a very pressing one and a lot of regulations are going that way. But you also should look at the other topics. And that's also what that we see in real estate that we're looking at biodiversity, a lot about health and well-being since we spend so much time indoors. And we enlarge in our scope a little bit from carbon emissions, not only carbon emissions, but also looking at other ones. But in the meantime, luckily, we're addressing carbon emissions more and more. And actually, the regulation that's uh, that's on the way or not already implemented is uh, is coming in quite hard. So, what what are the biggest challenges here right now? Well, if you would ask the real estate, and if you, I think always, and you will always hear this in in, in these conversations, is data availability. So, how do my assets actually perform? It's surprisingly hard for an asset manager to say what the carbon intensity is or energy intensity. It still sometimes puzzles me why this is so hard. But so data understanding how your buildings perform is, is the first challenge. And then we have to making new buildings very sustainable. That's not really rocket science, I would say, where you have to uh, put in a little bit more effort is on the existing building stock. And there's a lot of work to be done because... Uh, yeah, the building stock that will be there in 2050, already 75% is there right now. So we really have to work on that. And then it become, then you have all sorts of constraints. You know, I live in the city center of Prague. Do you have a lot of historical buildings and you cannot just do anything with that, right? You cannot sometimes yeah. even uh, replace the windows or, or put PV on the roof or heat pumps. So you have to look at different ways, maybe outside that property boundary. But yeah, so there are a lot of, you have to be a little bit creative. I would say there's no silver bullet that of this is the only solution. Yeah. So you cannot do a one size fits all approach to them. Yeah. And, and in our region, there is a lot of buildings that were built in the seventies and then eighties. They were used, you know, that old technology as well. 
Exactly. Yeah. And then, and then very often, uh, I mean, Central Eastern Europe has a lot of district heating. Sometimes you're obliged to, to take that energy. So you cannot change that sometimes, or you do have to do a lot of uh, engagement with the, with the other stakeholders. So yeah, no, it, you have to be a bit creative and that's why I like it so much. So tell me more about the old buildings. And I'm talking about, you started discussing that those that were built hundreds of years ago and, and how they are impacting. What, what can we do with these? Yeah, that's a good question because we have, of course, a lot of these buildings sitting in the city centers and to reduce the energy demand for these buildings, there's only so much you can do, right? If you cannot install heat pumps, you cannot put PV on the roof, ooh, then you're already starting to look at smaller things. So here you would have to, for example, have a power purchase agreement with facilities outside the city, for example, logistics centers that can put a lot of PV solar on their roof and then sell it directly to the old asset in the city center. There's um, not so much things you can do in the city center. We also want to have a nice aesthetics, right? A lot of people yeah. think solar panels are not so nice. So perhaps city center will not change that much. And we really have to look at, uh, I would say, 99% of the rest of the buildings. Luckily, there's a lot you can do. Yeah, yeah, like you said, there's still plenty to be done. So when we when we look at sustainability in the real estate sector, what should we aim at? Well, Paris alignment. I would say that when we talk about carbon emissions, we often refer to the Paris Agreement, right? We want to be have mm -hmm. a net zero economy by 2050. To have buildings emit absolutely no CO2 emissions is very hard for uh, real estate, but um There are very good initiatives out there and also regulations coming around the corner that, that really help the sector on, okay, where do we look at? And I would recommend, I mean, a lot of big players, big investors do this too, to use the CREM, which stands for Carbon Risk Real Estate Monitor. It was an initiative by the private sector, but funded by the EU and now really starting to develop into a a framework that is commonly used by real estate, the real estate sector. And that actually translated the IPCC decarbonization pathway into asset level specific for each country pathway. So for office building in Poland, you have a separate pathway than for office buildings in Slovakia, for example. And so each asset class has its own pathway in each, each country. And then you can really determine whether your asset is, is in line with the Paris Agreement. And being in line with the Paris Agreement is a question that we now get so much from investors. Like, is this building in line with the Paris Agreement? They have signed up for the SBTI, Science-Based Target Initiative, for example, and they they are committed to actually be in line with the Paris Agreement. So therefore, their assets have to be in line with the Paris Agreement. And then CREM is a great tool. Mm -hmm. But uh, there is also the green building principles that JLL has uh, developed, right? Yeah, definitely. So there's these 10 principles. They really tell you where you should look at. So You know, one of the first things is, is, uh, the data, uh, driven by data. So you have to understand your, your buildings. And there is a sort of decarbonization hierarchy that you have to go through before you do offsetting and ultimately can call your building carbon neutral. So offsetting is the last thing you should do. All the other first steps you should do is, for example, understanding your building, what's the performance at the moment, making the current systems more efficient, and then doing retrofits, generating clean energy, and then down that hierarchy, basically. 
And we have been talking about the old buildings that will have to be obviously minimized when it comes to the carbon footprint. But according to Vivid Economics, it will take 5.2 trillion US dollars to decarbonize uh, the built environment. Will we be able to handle that in any way? Well, if you look at the transition to a cleaner economy, I would say the technology is already there. The capital mm -hmm. is already there flowing around. It's more of a mindset change almost that has to happen. So, of course, every single company is, is, is driven on financial performance. But uh, and luckily, we now see that uh, cleaner assets, uh, cleaner buildings, they perform slightly better than uh, non-efficient buildings. So I see that the money is flowing the right direction. If there is five point uh, something a trillion uh, flowing around, that's certainly there. And I think it's just a matter of, of really pointing, making sure that regulations and, and also stakeholder pressures are all moving in that same direction to actually invest in quality instead of, uh, instead of uh, quality, perhaps. Yeah. And when it comes to that mindset that you mentioned, uh, is that being changed in any way? Where is it changing, if it is? Yeah, I think it has changed uh, since I started. So from being something that only the really, let's say, responsible front runners would do is uh, investing in clean, clean buildings. Now it's, it's really becoming mainstream. So that, mm -hmm. that is uh, very great. With COVID, I actually was a bit afraid that we would say, okay, we have uh, different things to tackle right now. But actually during COVID, we probably started realizing that we're really vulnerable. And that we should maybe take care of the space that we are in. Uh, that's for us all, the, this planet, but also the buildings. Uh, so luckily, I think the realization that something has to change is coming, is already there. For me, or sometimes you have the discussion, okay, how, how hard should these regulations come in? Maybe it's coming in too aggressive. For me, it's not coming in too aggressive. I mean, we waited long enough, <laughs> but I can imagine that, yeah, it disrupts. If you're not so flexible as an organization, these changes can really disrupt the way you do business. And that's something that we help with a lot. But I have seen when speaking with, with different stakeholders and representing different sectors, not necessarily the real estate sector, but in general, I've heard that you can actually be profitable as a business, but still adhere to the principles of sustainability, of sustainable growth. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think we have regulations, of course, stimulating this mindset. So regulation is always a little bit behind, but luckily, stakeholder pressure is really going that direction as well. I think the stakeholder pressure is getting so big that we really see companies realizing, oh, if I don't move at all, I will actually hurt my business. So I, I should actually be proactive in it. I'm originally, I, I see a little bit of a, a difference always because I'm originally from the Netherlands. Maybe the accent has given that away already. I moved to Czech Republic uh, six years ago. And yeah, in, in the Netherlands, I think sustainable real estate has developed a little bit earlier. And now I really see that coming in into Central Eastern Europe. And that's great to see. So instead of uh, pioneering a little bit, like France and the Netherlands and the UK and Denmark perhaps did, 
now we can really learn, okay, what is working, what is not working. And therefore, Central Eastern Europe can really adopt uh, much more efficient uh, even. Mm -hmm. But so you mentioned the, the differences between, well, that there are differences, at least in times, in the time when, when we started applying the rules or the principles. What other differences do you see between, you know, how Western Europe or, or the world applied those principles and Central and Eastern Europe? <sighs> Yeah, I think in Western Europe, I mean, we're all essentially the same. So the, this is, when it comes down to it, there's not that much different. But if I could generalize nicely uh, for once, I would say that in Central Eastern Europe, they want to know why, why should I do it? Okay, the regulation is coming in. Okay, that that's coming in. But then, well, let's wait for those regulations to be really enforced. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. why should I make the buildings, for example, healthy? You get the question why very often. And that is interesting because we at JLL and especially in London, where the main headquarters is for sustainability services, they are trying to, of course, put a finger on that number. You know, what is the increased, what's the higher value of a, of a, what's, what's the green premium or what is the brown discount mm -hmm. of a building? Yeah, we cannot provide those numbers yet or uh, because it's just very hard to have empirical evidence for that. But if we have those numbers established and we're all very we agree with that. Let's say it will be a super easy conversation. But until for now, we just have a very strong signal that these, uh, that these premiums are there or that there is a brown discount for inefficient assets. So that's why now you see a lot of companies in Central Eastern Europe moving, also following, let's say, uh, what Western Europe has been doing. And also because local investors or local asset managers or developers, they want to be attractive for the investors in Western Europe. So in order to do so, they basically have to play the same game. And maybe the word game is not the right word, but, uh, you know, they, they have to also provide these assets that are in line with the Paris Agreement. If your building is not in line with the Paris Agreement, you can expect a bit of a discount. I was going to ask you that question a little bit later, but you mentioned the, you know, investors or asset managers, but also tenants. Who drives this sort of pursue towards more sustainable real estate sector? So, yeah, I think I have been sitting mostly on the investor developer asset manager table mm -hmm. very often. So, and I see that institutional investors have a major role that they're playing right mm -hmm. now. So companies just want to be attractive for these companies and therefore also develop and deliver buildings that are in line with their ambitions. So I would say investors are driving this. Other stakeholder pressures, such as uh, businesses that uh, set their own net zero carbon ambitions, obviously mm -hmm. tenants, for example, they want to also occupy buildings that are in line with their ambitions. So that's a little bit of a pressure. Those things are being enforced now by also understanding the financial risks of not addressing climate change. And um, it's a, a little bit of a mix of all of them together. Uh, yeah, I see. And uh, I wanted to also ask you, because you mentioned several very interesting concepts like healthy buildings or green premium. Could you tell us a little bit more how you understand what is a healthy building and how, how should we all see this? Because, you know, yeah, at so the end of the day, we all live in, in a building. I mean, it, it's not something that does not refer to us in any way. Definitely. Yeah. So when it comes to... A sustainable building, building, we have, we often talk, like I mentioned about carbon emissions. How much carbon emissions does it emit? And of course, that is causing climate change. When we talk about the occupants, a healthy building is 
enormously important first because we spend a lot of time indoors, right? 90% exactly. or so. And this is actually the, a very big driver for occupiers is that they, they're starting to realize, oh, wait a second. If I look at the total cost of occupancy of my building, okay, 1% of my total cost go to the energy bill. Maybe it's a little bit more now, but 9%, let's say, goes to the rent, renting the space from the landlord. But 90% actually goes into the payrolling, into paying your employees that are working in, in that office. And I'm talking about office building now. So if you can optimize just slightly on, on, on this. So if you can make the building very pleasant, healthy, you know, good on the health and well-being, maybe you have slightly better staff retention rate. So you can maybe keep your talent a little bit longer or you have less sick days and you have uh, slightly better productivity perhaps. And all of these things, even though there are mar like very small like uh, upgrades you can make. So for example, a building, if it's a healthy building and just have 1% increase in a good way on these three things, then it already outweighs the rent and the energy bill. So for occupants, when they realize the actual benefits of having a healthy building, it actually makes complete business sense. And there's like growing evidence that there is this benefit to it. So that's another important driver that there is a good landlord tenant engagement between the two, because the landlord often wants their building to be very efficient, low on the carbon, low on the energy just so they can go out and say, okay, this building is in line with Paris Agreement and the occupier wants to have a healthy building and also a low energy bill. So very often they, they are very much aligned. So you can have the conversation together. So you want low energy bill. We want a high-tech building, also good, mm -hmm. good on the energy label, for example, so we can work together. Sometimes it doesn't work very nicely together. If you want a very fresh air in your building, of course, you have to heat a lot of fresh air, but therefore you have technology. So there's, it, it's very much about the landlord tenant engagement. And there's also obviously the residential space, right? Where, of course, each of us is involved in because we all live in a, in a flat, in an apartment, in a, in a house. How can we make sure that where we live is actually sustainable? Yeah. Well, first, uh, JLL does not do a lot on the residential, or I don't do a lot of on, on the on the residential mm -hmm. sector. It's growing a lot, though. Now, huh? these days, investors all jump on the uh, resi to rent developments. But so, what you can do in house, of course, you want to have a low energy bill. So, in that way, uh, the high energy bill is working a little bit together with with fighting climate change. So that's nice. But yeah, what can you do? Sometimes it's just a matter of basics when it comes to energy. Some people. You know, just need to realize, okay, how much energy am I actually putting in um, my fridge, for example, or like, and of course, changing the light bulbs for LED, that will help a lot. 90% of your energy actually goes to heating. So any optimizations on your heating will have massive benefit. And when it comes to healthy, I mean, yeah, this is a personal interest of mine is uh, building biology. So it's all about having a healthy indoor climate what a lot of people i mean i sleep with the windows open always and uh, because as we breathe we emit some co2 as well not enough to mm -hmm. cause climate change perhaps or but uh, when you have your windows closed and you go to sleep so you start with maybe 500 ppm parts per million co2 in the air and then as you go up uh, you can go up to 2000 2500 ppm of co2 in the air parts per million so molecules in the air and that can cause a little bit of a headache already you know so mm -hmm. yeah you you can think about um, uh, ventilating in a smart way for example so 
yeah, there's a, a lot of small things. And I mm-hmm. wish uh, we would teach this in school uh, a little bit about, um, you know, what can you do in a house and where does my energy actually flow to? And obviously there is a lot of stuff related to construction materials because that can also have a huge impact on how sustainable the apartment or the house is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So embodied carbon is uh, all the carbon emissions that were emitted because you had to like build steel and get cement and you have to get all these materials that already cost a lot of co2 even before you operate the building and and then you have let's say 50 uh, five zero years of operation if we look at 50 years of operation and, and building your house about half of the emissions were already there on day one because you had it all in embodied carbon so working with bio-based products like timber Right, uh, wood. Uh, there's nothing wrong with building with wood in most climates, and also you can work on your concrete. You know, reducing the the, the amount of concrete or even having a smart mixture. Let's say. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, embodied carbon is big, and that's actually a topic that will come up in the next year more dominant. Right now, we're always talking about embo- uh, operational carbon. We're slowly starting to see that the scope is a bit broadened and we also start talking about embodied carbon. So yeah, that's a very interesting topic. How can you make sure that your carbon footprint is not so big? Because most, a lot of companies have to actually pay in some mm-hmm. way or the other for their emissions. Either they buy offsets to claim that they're carbon neutral or maybe even in some jurisdictions, a penalty. So now, of course, you have to also look at embodied, which is an interesting uh, topic, especially because engineering is my background. So I can, a uh, civil engineering, and I would love, um, I, I always love having clients that, uh, that talk about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So talking about geographies, because you also mentioned jurisdictions here, which countries in Central and Eastern Europe do you see are kind of at the forefront of that sustainable real estate sector and which are kind of lagging behind? Oh, that's a good question. I think Czech Republic is actually one of the more front runners on mm-hmm. this field. They always had quite strict building codes, maybe because it used to get a bit colder here in the winter, that so better insulation perhaps, but, but I actually don't know who would be the front runner i would put my money actually on czech republic if i had to I had okay. to pick but uh, that's just a guess actually <laughs> i i think it's quite a broad sector right so it's it's hard. yeah de- definitely and and uh, i know poland is also doing good things but i see in poland that they have um, sometimes very strict rules and then on the other front very lenient or no rules so it just depends on where you look are you looking at embodied or operational or or what sector yeah This brings me to mention Ukraine, which is obviously going to rebuild uh, quite a lot of real estate as soon as the the war is over. How do you see that? Is that an opportunity to become more sustainable? Certainly. I mean, there's uh, it's it's terrible uh, what's happening there. So and right. At the moment, they have a bigger fish to fry, certainly. But once we get to that conversation about, okay, we have to rebuild the country again, you can really, to actually maybe take one positive out of this war, you can really leapfrog to be a front runner in this industry. I mean, ultimately in 2050, we have to have a net zero economy. If the stakeholder pressures will not do it, it will be the regulation. So that the head that's giving the final push. So ultimately it has to happen. If Ukraine can do it already in this decade and really rebuild everything in such a way that, that everything is ready for uh, Paris alignment and also in 2050, 
that would be phenomenal. I mean, in Germany, they had to rebuild a lot after the war. They recovered very quickly. Hopefully, Ukraine can do the same. But there's also a lot of threats in there. I mean, in that building biology I talked about was actually created after they figured that in Germany there were a lot of people getting sick, but they had very weird symptoms and it, it, it what we call now sick building syndrome. And the cause is actually having a building building that is, for example, has no proper ventilation. There are molds or spores in the air that's actually giving very bad air quality. Just all these artificial materials, perhaps we should build with more natural materials. So instead of plaster, maybe uh, you go to something that absorbs uh, uh, moisture better when when it's moist in the air and releases it when it's dry. So just to give the indoor environment a little bit uh, more natural uh, feel for us. And and, uh, yeah, I mean, I would love to to work on this. Um, It's something I reached out to an organization that's actually looking at this. So... Yeah, uh, definitely ready to put my team on this uh, together to work this out or do my part there. Yeah. Actually, this week I'm going to talk about uh, rebuilding Ukraine at the Expo Real event in Munich. So what advice should I share with some of the panelists that uh, uh, I am going to have on the on the panels? Look at the on the long term. I know it's very hard to look at in the long term when your short term um, is, is so dark right now, right? If you're mm-hmm. looking at the current situation, try to, to think about uh, 10 years when this is all over. What, what would you like to have done uh, today differently? So, and, 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 and maybe that slight um, sacrifice on, on making cheaper buildings is, wasn't the, the right thing. And instead mm-hmm. you should have invested a little bit more in in a very green building and it doesn't have to be 10 percent more it can be one percent more and you already have a very very sustainable building but it's just it's all about it's still very financially driven and i think it will be very difficult to actually convince everyone like okay let's let's look at a time in the future where this is all behind us what would have been the best approach so it doesn't really answer your question i think we need a little bit of a it would be a very great workshop to look at how we can improve the residential sector and and uh, all these public buildings that are destroyed to think about okay how do we want to rebuild also about the lifestyle how how do we live maybe we don't commute that much anymore and you mm-hmm. need to have very comfortable home during the day efficient heating system for uh, because you're there all day long. So yeah, I would love to jump on that actually. So if you have anyone that wants to talk about that, uh, please uh, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> I will. I will. And I will also mention some of the advice during the panel as well. Uh, Stefan, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure chatting with you. It was you. a great pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and you're doing great work. I love the podcast. Yeah. Looking forward to, to see what's coming and especially in Ukraine, but also the way how the real estate sector develops. It's a very interesting time and, and hopefully we do not lose focus because the focus is right there mm. now and let's keep it up. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you all for listening, and we look forward to your company for the next episode of Emerging Europe Talks. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and do leave a review. This will help us ensure a regular stream of great guests you want to hear from. And finally, check out our news and analysis platform at emerging-europe.com.